Euro 2020 on the Soccer Gambling Podcast is presented by WinBet. Get started today and you'll get a free risk-free bet up to $500. Terms and conditions apply. Get the details at wynnbet.com and download the app today. We're also brought to you by PropSwap, America's number one app to buy and sell sports bets. Use the promo code SGP for your first deposit and receive up to $500 in bonus cash. That's PropSwap.com and the promo code SGP. We're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Sign up at underdogfantasy.com with the promo code SGPN and receive a free $25 entry to use in Best Ball Mania 2 for a chance to win $1 million. And of course, don't forget to download the SGPN app in the App Store or the Google Play Store today. is advising Ireland and Scotland fans to stay as far away from England fans as possible. Levels of arrogance and hubris are at their highest since 1996, so any contact with an England fan is likely to ruin your day. Even before the Germany game, England fans were talking about their route to the final, so who knows what it's like out there now. And we're once again asking non-England fans to adopt the hands, face, and space guidance. Use your hands to block England fans on social media or to leave WhatsApp groups. Face, make sure you shield away from any It's Coming Home memes. And finally, and most importantly, space. Make sure you keep your distance from any England fans. They are absolutely unbearable at the moment and you could be exposed to It's Coming Home songs, Three Lions, or even a rendition of Atomic Kitten. And in better news, the WHO have pointed out that the further Garrett Southgate's team get in the tournament, the more crushing their disappointment will inevitably be, meaning that England, Ireland and Scotland fans can mingle once again. Thank you and good night. You are listening to your Euro 2020 quarterfinal preview here on the Soccer Gambling Podcast. You can follow the Soccer Gambling Podcast on Twitter, at SGP Soccer. That's at SGP Soccer. You can also follow the Sports Gambling Podcast Network on Twitter, at the SGP Network. That's at the SGP Network. You can also check out my website, LockBetting.com. We are doing a show on the 1st of July, so there is no better time to sign up for LockBetting.com. We have just landed our 97th month in a row of Transparent Track Profit, and we look to make July the 98th eighth month in a row of transparent track profit. That's right. In over eight years, I haven't had a single losing month and you can come on the journey for the 98th month. Now, I will reiterate this once again, as I always do. Sign up at the start of the month. If you sign up in the middle of the month, you will still get billed for the entire month. If you sign up 15th, 20th, 25th, doesn't matter. The billing cycle on Patreon is the first of the month. I use Patreon because it allows me to be completely transparent. I post my picks on there. They're all there. Nothing's ever delivered. 
deleted. And I post every single spreadsheet on there. So everything is fully tracked and transparent. And the members can make comments underneath every single post. That is the level of transparency that I want. And I have to use Patreon to do that. So unfortunately, uh, that means that I have to go with Patreon's billing cycle, which is the first of every month. But it is the first of the month, so you can sign up to get the uh, end of this Euro 2020 tournament, the end of the NBA season. My MLB picks six and one on one unit plays. We are looking at Wimbledon this week and next week as well. And then we have the Olympics at the end of the month, plus lots of UFC and boxing, including Wilder and Fury. So there is no better time to sign up. July isn't going to be a quiet month. There is loads of sport. And of course, July is the time where we begin our previews for the European leagues and the EPL. And we will start releasing our futures picks. And we have an over 80% record on the futures. And our futures have gone very well so far with Euro 2020. And they'll be even better if it does come home and England win this competition. But all we need is for England to get to the final. And the route looks very good. As I predicted, we would get past the Germans. And if we had attacked the Germans from the beginning, we would have beaten them convincingly. Instead, we sat back for 60 minutes in a containment mode, bought on Jack. Jack Grealish should have started the game and tore them apart in the last 15. So I think that is where England need to go moving forward, especially with much inferior opposition coming up in both the quarterfinal and the semifinal if we get there. But I don't think that's what he's going to do. I think we're going to continue on with the pragmatic approach, continue on with these clean sheets and navigate our way to the final where we will be playing either Italy, Belgium, Switzerland or Spain. England now off the back of that victory over the Germans are the clear favourites to win this competition. However, this time, unlike the start of the competition, I fully agree with it. With two of the next three games coming at Wembley, including the final... And the next game being in Rome, but against a Ukraine team that just looked absolutely dead after their game, after playing 120 minutes against Sweden and stealing that winner in the 123rd minute. I think that's the best possible scenario, getting Ukraine in Rome, getting that out of the way, and then having two games at Wembley against the winner of Czech Republic and Denmark, and then whoever that is in the final. The bookies fancy Spain. They are the second favourites behind England. England lead the market here at 2-1. to one. Spain are available here at 3-1. One Italy at four to one, Belgium seven to one, Denmark nine to one, twenty two to one, Switzerland conquerors of the world champions, France twenty five to one on the Czech Republic, and it's thirty three to one here on England's opponents in the quarterfinals, the Ukraine. So recapping those games that we covered last time out, luckily the final game saved us in terms of landing an under on England and taking England as a pick to go through. Also, the under on the uh, Sweden-Ukraine game was given out here, although that was very, very lucky to cash. After a uh, one-all draw at half-time, they managed to not score a goal in the second half. So got a little bit of luck there. Didn't have any luck through most of these group stages. Our future on Holland to reach the final was the first thing to die. Italy didn't win to nil. Uh, which is what I expected. It started really well with uh, with Denmark going through. I was very high on Denmark at the start of the tournament, reaching a quarterfinal, and then I really liked them to beat Wales. That was an easy cash on the money line. But as I said after that, Italy to nil didn't come to fruition. Uh, lost the long-term future on the Dutch. 
I was on the uh, wrong side of the Portugal-Belgium game. I just thought Portugal, uh, the way that they've been able to, they've been able to win the Nations League and won the European Championships last time. I believe they were the perfect mix of being able to defend and having attacking players to cause problems. And I thought they would neutralise the world's number number one ranked team. But Belgium still managed to get through. Moving on to Monday. Oh, Black Monday was when we did lose some big futures. Group F, the group of death, the winner to come from Group F, that was pretty much ended when when France left the competition. We also had France to reach the the semi-final as a future, two futures dead there. Wasn't completely dead because we still had Germany, but uh, we hedged out that pick because we had a more long-term pick on England to reach the final. So... As I said on the um, SGP, instead of taking the winner of the Germany-England tie, just take one of them to, to reach the final. England were available at plus 350 and Germany were available at plus 400. I decided to, to go with England. I made the right choice. And for me, the, uh, the stake on that and the odds on that overrode Germany to, to win the tournament. I think had Germany managed to get past England, yes, they would have got to the final, but I thought there was a much better chance of Germany being beaten. Therefore, I would rather England just reach the final. And I think when England get to the final, they'll have a massive advantage, of course, over who gets there. So that France result was very, very bad for us, not just because of futures as well. Um, we actually had France in running to qualify during that game as well. We are able to cash out the money line with a hedge on the draw. We are able to take the same hedge on Spain on the money line. People turn around and uh, and they listen to shows and they assume sometimes that all the picks given out is, is what it is. That's it. But if you're not hedging with Spain at 3-1 up and your hedges are 50-1, to 40-1, or even at 3-2 where your hedges are 9-1, 10-1, then you shouldn't be gambling. Or let's, let's put it another way. You are just a degenerate gambler. You are an absolute epitome of a degenerate gambler. Why, when you're on course for a, a decent winning, can you not just hedge a tiny amount out? It's money that you didn't have anyway. You're guaranteeing the bonus money that you're going to win with the bet. Why would you not hedge at 9 or 10 to 1 in a situation where uh, a few minutes ago your hedge was 40 or 50 to 1? Does that not scare you? Does that not concern you? Do you want to lose? What heroic badge are you getting for riding out? these plays. We didn't ride out anything, not with Spain or with France, especially when it got to a 3-2 situation. So my clients lost nothing on money line plays on on Spain and France. But unfortunately, we did lose it on the future. And I correctly predicted on Twitter that it's there on my Twitter account. I've actually pinned it. Switzerland are going to win this penalty shootout and Kylian Mbappe is going to miss. Kylian Mbappe has had a horrendous tournament. And I don't think you can in any way compare him ever again to the likes of uh, Cristiano and um, Lionel Messi unless he does something significant like single-handedly wins a Champions League or or carries France to the next World Cup because a lot of people look at the 2018 World Cup and say, oh, they won it. They won that World Cup. They won that World Cup. Well, Mbappe didn't win the World Cup for him. He was influential in it, but it wasn't Maradona in 1986. Yes, he's very young and he has won that World Cup, but he's then decided to go and move to PSG and, and rip apart teams like uh, Stad Remes and um, Strasbourg and Brest. I mean, any top player would rip these teams apart. If you put Matt Marcus Rashford in a Paris Saint-Germain kit, he would be ripping up these, these French village teams, just like Kylian Mbappe does. 
So I don't think you're going to improve going to these going to the the French league. And uh, Neymar hasn't improved, and he's nowhere near the Ballon d'Or. And Kylian Mbappe hasn't improved. He's not improved whatsoever from the player that he was that won the World Cup in 2018. How does that put you on course to be in the same conversation as the likes of uh, Ronaldo and Messi? He doesn't influence big games at all. I understand that he managed to to tear apart Barcelona, but that was just a tailor-made matchup in terms of Barcelona pressing too high, having no pace at the back, feeling like they needed to win the first leg to have a chance of winning the tie. They didn't, but that's how they felt. And uh, Kylian Mbappe had a good game on that day. And that was really it through the whole tournament or the whole latter stages. That was the only time that Kylian Mbappe was massively influential because he had a team that were pressed up high and he was able to utilise his pace in that position. But the fact is, is that Barcelona's record in the last couple of years against big sides has been absolutely horrendous. They've either drawn or lost to every single one of them. When it came down to Manchester City, I just think it's really, really polite that uh, Ruben Diaz decided to let Kylian Mbappe out of his back pocket after keeping him there for two legs to allow him to go and finish the French season and turn up to Euro 2020 and do absolutely fuck all for four games. I think it was really nice of Ruben Diaz to let Kylian Mbappe go and do that. I'm not impressed with this player. I knew he was going to miss the penalty. I think he may possibly be the, the most overrated player in world football. Um, the £200 million price tag, the comparisons to Messi and Ronaldo, the FIFA covers, um, the, the, the children wanting his shirt, uh, his name and number on the shirt. I, I'm not understanding this. I see a, a, a quick player who is a very, very average finisher. He's one bad uh, Achilles injury away or a hamstring injury away from being completely irrelevant. Because if you take away the, the, the pace that he has, Kylian Mbappe brings absolutely nothing to the team. So this is, this is fierce criticism of Kylian Mbappe and someone will remember this and someone can even record this and when he scores a hat-trick next season, they'll play it back to me and go, oh, what did you say about Kylian Mbappe? Listen, do it in a big game. Do it in a Champions League quarterfinal, a semi-final. Do it in a final. Carry your country on your back like Diego Maradona did in 1986. Do what Messi's done as a one-man team for Barcelona through his entire career. Go and win titles at major leagues and score goals everywhere like Cristiano Ronaldo. Kylian Mbappe has done nothing and I predict that he will do nothing that compares to these two players. I think once these two goes, then then casual fans uh, might really, really appreciate what we have because we've got two players, two goats at the same time. We've got it here in soccer and we have it in tennis with the three guys Rafa Nadal, Federer and Djokovic, people don't appreciate what we actually have with those players exchanging titles. And I feel the same way about Messi and Ronaldo. When they're gone, you'll realise when when very um when 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 players who don't deserve to be in the same conversation as them are suddenly challenging for Ballon d'Ors. You're looking at the likes of Haaland and Mbappe. And yes, you may think they're wonderful and you may think that they're worth 150 million and 200 million. Well, at their peak, Messi, Messi by comparison should be worth 400 million and so should have Cristiano Ronaldo. Because at their peak, they were absolutely unplayable. And this current market, I don't know what valuation you would put on a 28-year-old Cristiano Ronaldo. And I don't know what valuation you'd put on a 28-year-old Messi. But I guarantee you, it would be double 
what anybody wants to go out and pay for a Neymar or certainly a Kylian Mbappe. So um, the Mbappe bashing wasn't supposed to be five minutes of this show. I'm just, I'm just really can't understand that the hype behind this player to the extent that it goes in terms of the, the comparisons that are drawn and um, and some of the media that covers soccer are, are very much to blame for this. Uh, moving on to Tuesday. Yes, of course, that was good. England with the clean sheet, under two and a half goals. England going through. Nice future for England to reach the final in very good shape and was made into even better shape when we don't have to play Sweden. England hate playing Sweden. Sweden always give England a difficult game. To see Ukraine there and to see them playing 120 minutes is very good for England. And that is reflected in the odds with England being undoubtedly the strongest favourite to qualify for the next round with England at 1-6 to six and Ukraine at 4-1. to bum, four to one. But we'll get there when we'll get there and we'll get that at the end of the show. We have to begin with a 5 o'clock kickoff on Friday where Spain take on Switzerland. Conquerors of the world champions, France, who were completely complacent after coming back from 1-0 down to go 3-1 up after the Swiss missed a penalty, allowing Switzerland to score two goals in the final 15 minutes and then were beaten on penalties. Switzerland are riding a high. So is Spain off the back of um, them letting a two-goal lead slip against Croatia before winning 5-3 in overtime, in extra time. But Spain are the favourites here at 4-6 to six on the money line. It's 29-10 to 10 to draw, and it's 17-4 to four here on the Swiss. And uh, the qualification market sees Spain at 1-3 to, to qualify. It's 9-4 on the Swiss. Swiss are going to tempt some people to to ride with them here off the back of um, their victory over France. However, I do think this is a letdown spot. You've just knocked out the world champions. You did it on a very emotional way on the penalty shootout. In addition to that, that is a rivalry game as well for those of you that have access to a map. Have a look at France and Switzerland. They're right next to each other. So... A big, big win for Switzerland beating their neighbours. the equivalent of Scotland getting a win over England. I don't think they're going to be able to maintain it here. Uh, also, Granit Xhaka is missing here for Switzerland. He is their captain. A lot of you will be listening to that statement and going, who gives a shit? Have you seen Xhaka play for Arsenal? I have, and he's terrible. But for Swiss, for the Swiss team, he's very, very important. You guys have to remember... Um, when players go to to clubs who are all considered for the European Super League, they're going uh, to elite clubs and they're being surrounded by elite players. A lot of clubs, when you look at the personnel, are better than the top countries. You could argue that um, PSG would, would beat France. You can argue that um, Manchester City would beat England. That's just how it is. Club football teams have got ridiculously strong. And whereas a average player like Xhaka doesn't stand out for Arsenal, he's absolutely vital when it comes to going away and playing for his country, Switzerland. So that's going to be a big miss here. Um Statistical data indicates that there will be a load of goals here in this game. Both teams to score is available here at evens. And uh, the over two and a half goals here is narrowly available at plus money as well. Spain, of course, have scored 10 goals across their last uh, 210 minutes of action. Whereas Switzerland have scored seven and conceded 
eight in their four games at the tournament. So you're looking at that and thinking this is going to be goals. Uh, five of Spain's last nine games have actually been draws in 90 minutes and both teams have scored in five of Spain's last seven competitive internationals. So it's hard not to ride that data. One thing I'll be cautious about before you uh, go and put a bunch of units on it is the fact that um, going into this tournament, Spain were involved in very low scoring games and Switzerland were considered a defensive side that liked to sit in and hit on the break. So unless these two teams have completely lost their identity, they may go back to what they know here in this game with um, Switzerland sitting in and Spain dominating the ball like they've done in every game. They are the number one ball possession team in the tournament, having over 67% possession here. And I expect that to continue around about that way as they try and break this Swiss team down. And I think they will get the breakthrough and uh, there could be goals in this game. There could be over two and a half goals. Switzerland may contribute towards scoring but I don't think we're looking at three threes and five threes here again I think Spain win I think they get the breakthrough I think they end up winning over a tired and emotional Switzerland team whose competition ends here and I keep it nice and simple I like Spain here on the money line to get it done I think there's value there on them just creating enough chances to get this done in the 90 minute market I think Switzerland will be absolutely exhausted and uh, both both mentally and physically as well I really like Spain here on the money line the game of the week, the game of the quarterfinals, a game that I identified on my future show. And um, I just want to say, like, uh, the future shows have been great, like in terms of where we're at. Yes, France are not here, but this Belgium-Italy tie was was picked out. I mean, we knew England were going to have a tough tie in Group F. And if England got through to the past the last 16 and navigated that tie, they were always going to be the front runners to reach the final of this tournament. All of this stuff was said. All of the um, the top scorers that I identified, three, three of them were in the top four. So there was so many stuff, so much stuff given out on there. Group winners, um, teams to reach the quarterfinals here. We're looking at Belgium. We're looking at Italy. We're looking at Spain. We're looking at Denmark. That was big plus money. All of these were given out on the future show. So if you want to be a moron and, and message me like some moron did telling me, oh, you're shit, your picks are shit, you need to be replaced, then, then that's up to you. You won't get a response from me. You will just get blocked. I've been here for eight years. I've been here since the 2014 World Cup. I've done two World Cups while I've been here. I've done now two European Championships. I've done seven Champions Leagues. Uh, I've done five EPL seasons. I ain't going anywhere. I have unquestionably the strongest pick record and the strongest lot record, which is actually tracked and recorded of anybody that works on the show. I've been here since the beginning. In fact, I've been here third longest after Sean and Ryan. I came the year after it started. So if you're sending me stupid messages going, oh, you should be fired and you can be, you should be replaced by who? Who's going who's to do this better? Some American capper that you're going to come in that's simply going to ride trends with no gut instincts for the sport. I had a bad show. I had a bad round of 16 wasn't even that terrible but yeah by my standards that I've set for myself it was bad suddenly we're overlooking the futures that were all put out across seven shows suddenly we're forgetting the the recent EPL season or the bunch of seasons before that or all the tournaments or eight years of winning that is the kind of idiots 
that you deal with when you do this show. So, uh, hi, idiot. I'm talking to you. You know who you are. It was only actually one specific message. Uh, there was some. There's always some messages about certain picks. Uh, someone will just message you going, ha ha, what shit pick, whatever. You get loads of crap like that. But this guy specifically said, you need to be replaced. Good luck, but good luck with that little buddy. Um, why don't you send an email to see if you can uh, replace me and uh, list your credentials to do this show? Moving on, anyway. Let's uh, let's have a look at Belgium versus Italy. Belgium eleven to five on the money line, eleven to five also on the draw, and thirteen to ten on the Italians, who are strong favourites here. Not sure I fully understand why. I'll try to make sense of that in a second. The qualification odds see Italy as the four to seven favourites, nearly minus 200 here to go through to the final with Belgium available at five to four. I don't expect those odds to stick. I think there will be some money at Belgium here. I think they'll appeal to people. Uh, I especially think it'll appeal more once the news comes out that Kevin De Bruyne is going to play. I do think they're going to try and start him. Uh, I think people... Uh, are a little bit concerned that both De Bruyne and Hazard aren't there. I'm not, because I expect this to be a a defensive cagey game like Belgium and Portugal was. Italy um, have been an attacking team under Mancini, but they've also been very, very solid to break down and solid defensively. So I do think there'll be a defensive game. I do think Hazard and De Bruyne being out, if De Bruyne does miss out, will lead to them being replaced by players who are competent enough to to occupy the gaps here. And as they're not looking for overriding creativity, but looking to contain what Italy do and Italy also looking to contain what Belgium do I do think this may end up fizzling out I'd be more concerned if Belgium were missing defenders than missing creative players and what I think will be a cagey game with not a lot of goals I like the under here which is available at four to five before Italy conceded that goal against Austria in a game where they looked very poor Um, They hadn't conceded for 11 games, whereas Belgium have seen four of their last six games go under two and a half goals. So again, people are looking at this tie and they looked at the Portugal-Belgium tie and they're thinking, oh, goals, excitement, tied around. These two teams know they're in the tide around. These two teams know they've got a tough game. These two teams will expect respect each other. They're not going to go gung-ho and leave massive gaps for the dangerous players to exploit them. Italy are going to be fully aware of Romelu Lukaku. He's just won an Italian title this season almost by himself. He was the best player in Italy by a mile. And now he's coming up in, in against uh, an Italy team where he plays against Italy. He plays against Italians every week. And we've got two granddads playing at centre-back. This is going to be difficult here for Italy especially the way they looked against Austria. They're the team that played 120 minutes. Even though Belgium have got some potential injuries, I'd be more worried if I was Italy. And despite despite, despite that, despite their missing uh, De Bruyne and Hazard, they still have better players. If you were making a World eleven, Belgium would have more players in it than the Italians would. Italy are very, very good. They're a very good team. But individually, they don't have any real standout players that you would consider for a World eleven or that are definites here to go into any kind of combined 11 between the two. I think you could make a case that you would put Bonici in defence. I think Spinazzola, just off the back of this tournament, would get in. Um, goalkeeper, I think, would go for, for, for Courtois. The midfield,
field would be very, very split depending on availability. But I would lean Witzel and Tielemans. And then if De Bruyne is fit, then you would give him the clean sweep. Romelu Lukaku is the best striker in this game. So I don't get these odds. One team played 120 minutes. One team did it. One team overcame a very difficult team. In Portugal, the holders and showed that they could beat them and kept a clean sheet. Italy got past Austria in extra time. Uh, Belgium have better players in Italy, whether De Bruyne plays or not. I understand they've got a 31-match unbeaten run, but uh, they didn't play any difficult opponents. Belgium are the number one ranked team in the world, and they've beat a load of difficult opponents. None of this really makes sense to me, and for that reason alone, I am going to go with the underdog, because I don't understand why they're the underdog, and I will take Belgium to qualify in this spot. And I also think that it will be a low-scoring game. I actually almost favour that play, overpicking any kind of winner here in this one. Moving on to Saturday's quarterfinals, begin with Czech Republic versus Denmark. We're Czech Republic 14 to 5, 11 to 5 the draw, and it's 21 to 10, uh, 21 to 20, sorry, on the Danes. Denmark in a difficult position here suddenly because they've had a roller coaster of a tournament emotionally. They were expected to reach the quarterfinal, especially after having three home games. You would have thought that Denmark would have been able to get enough points to qualify, possibly second behind Belgium. That was the way I worked it out. And I thought that they would be good enough to beat anyone who finished runners-up in Group A. That was always the draw for Denmark. But I thought their competition would end here because they should be coming up against Holland. They're not. They're coming up against the Czech Republic instead because Frank de Boer is one of the worst managers in history. So now... After being in a situation where they're expected to be in the quarterfinals, uh, they they are now expected to reach the semi-finals. In addition to that, at one stage of this tournament, as part of this roller coaster, they had a player who almost died on the pitch. They then came out and played when they were emotionally wrecked and lost to Finland by one goal to nil. They then then uh, were were all over Belgium for the first half and ended up losing that game in the second half. Even that is emotionally bad to take when you've played such a good 45 minutes. And then they were able to rise to the occasion and uh, put up two very good performances, destroying both Russia and... um, uh, sorry, Russia and Wales. So in one sense, they are the form team in this tournament. They are the ones that no one's talking about that have put together the two most impressive performances here when we're looking at a quarter finalist. However, they are now in a position where they've gone from being expected to be in a quarterfinals they're playing all their games at home to expected to be out of the competition and dealing with a national emotional hurdle of what happened to Ericsson to overcoming that with two great results to now being expected to be in a semi-finalist. That's a lot. Of, uh, of of that's 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 a lot to deal with, and that's a rocky, rocky roller coaster compared to the Czechs, who very quietly came into this tournament with zero expectations at all. Beat Scotland and automatically put themselves in a position to qualify. Managed to get a draw against the um, the Croatians. Played a real dead rubber against England, which didn't really matter. In fact, it benefited the Czechs to lose to get an easier second round draw because I think Holland were in it was an easier game than Germany or whoever came from the group of death. Which, by the way, everyone from the group of death has died and are currently sitting at home, which is amazing. Um, but yeah, the Czech Republic have very, very quietly got their way through the group and then they beat a Holland team without exerting themselves over a 120-minute period or anything like that. Um, but they had 
had chances during the game. They sat in, they were well organised, they defended, they limited a very dangerous attack to, to virtually nothing. Marlon should have scored uh, for, for Holland and perhaps if he had, we wouldn't be talking about Czech Republic being here. But the fact is he didn't. That was really the one big chance they had. They managed to neutralise Wijnaldum and Depay and all the other attacking players. And once they got down to 10 men, Frank De Boer had no tactics and Czech Republic were able to push forward and win that game. They deserve to be here and they are a very credible opponent here for, for Denmark. I think this game is much more even than the odds suggest. Uh, ben, Denmark are being made out to be a strong favourite here. The qualification odds uh, see Denmark at 8-15 to and Czech Republic at 11-8. to um, I, I don't love Czech Republic here as a dog, but this is a dog or pass situation here for me, just on the basis that um, I don't think Denmark should be this strong of a favourite here. Looking at the roots of the two teams, Denmark have won, have won two and lost two. And uh, the Czech Republic's only defeat came against an England team by one goal to nil. And I can't remember a plethora of chances in that game where that scoreline flattered the Czech Republic in any way. In fact, Czech Republic had chances to level. So just by the fact that they are very well organised and they rely on their stars to get the job done for them. So you don't really have any star men there. You have Thomas Toshek of West Ham, who everybody knows. And then now you have Patrick Schick, who's become a star through what he's done in this tournament, including scoring a goal of the tournament. I think they'll rely on those players to, to, to do the damage whilst the defence make it very, very difficult for Denmark to play. And we've seen Denmark not be able to break a team down like this. Granted, the second half against Finland isn't really um, notable data given the situation with Christian Eriksen. But still, that was a team that sat in and for the first half, they managed to contain the Danes there. And um, I think we could see a containment dob here by the Czech Republics. If, if Denmark scored a first goal, I do think that they'll go on and win this game comfortably. But if they can stop them from scoring that second goal and frustrate them and maybe even get themselves a winner or push this into extra time, it then gets into lottery territory. So for me, out of all the games this weekend that are happening, I have this one earmarked as one that possibly could go to penalty shootouts, adding to our play on uh, over 2.5 shootouts, which should have cashed already. Over two and a half shootouts should have cashed already. I've never seen so many games go to extra time that have finished in extra time. The line was um, over two and a half games to go to extra time, minus 120 for yes and even money for no. But it was plus money for over two and a half shootouts, plus 150. So I took the plus 150 over the, over the minus 120, knowing that 80% of the time, games don't have goals in extra time. They end up just getting very, very cagey and petering out and ended up going to penalty shootouts anyway. So instead of taking a minus 120, I took the value on the plus 150, thinking that if these games go to extra time, if we do end up getting three or four games that do go over to extra time, then the shootouts are very likely. And wow, we had all the extra time. We just don't have the shootouts, including a... Uh, unfortunate 123rd minute winner from the Ukraine. So a bit of bad luck with that. It's still alive. We could easily still get two shootouts here from the remaining seven games. That is all that's left. And I would think this would be one of them. Denmark are the better team. They should win this game, but I'm just not sure how they'll deal with the pressure. And um, 
Czech Republic have shown they can beat a team like this that have loads of the ball and pressurised like Denmark and Denmark shown that they find it difficult against teams like this where they couldn't break down Finland. So I think this is a dog or pass situation and uh, I do like playing the draw here in this one at plus money. Uh, a little tiny sprinkle, no real strong play here in this one. Um, but if, if I was drawing out a bracket for the four teams that go through, I would go for Belgium, Spain, um, Denmark, and of course, England, who we come to last here. England against the Ukraine in Rome, 8 o'clock on Saturday night. No England supporters are allowed to go there from England. So only Italian-based England supporters or people flying in from European countries that are English that are allowed into Italy. Because if you come in from England to Italy, there is a quarantine period that means you cannot watch the game. Now, the only way you could, if you were from England, is if you missed the game against Germany and you were so certain that England were going to beat Germany, you decided to not go for the tickets for England-Germany at Wembley and fly and flew out to Italy a week ago and quarantined there. And now you can go to the game. I'm not sure how many people would have done that maybe seven uh i have no idea but yeah that would be the the weird situation in terms of an english supporter from england getting to this game so they're not going to have the crowd advantage this is going to be in rome so i wonder if that would make things more difficult for england yes automatically it would you would assume but i think the huge advantage here is the 120 minutes the way the czech players look with the hobbling and the injuries and the and the cramping and everything like that they look like they'd been to war and now they have to play here against this england team who are really stingy in, in front of goal they're not giving up goals and um, I don't like the way England have necessarily approached games but when you look at um, the defense here defenses normally win you things and it's not just a case of of soccer um, you just look look at the NFL this season where Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers were neutralized for the last two games for Tampa that's why they ended up winning the Super Bowl you look at tennis yeah, there's big servers and big attacking players, but the number one player in the world is a guy who's the best defender of the ball, and that's Novak Djokovic. The Champions League was won this year by Chelsea when Thomas Tuchel came in and fixed the Chelsea defence. When it comes down to tournaments, leagues might be different, where it's three points every single week and, and, and it's over the course of 38 games, but in tournament play, the defence is very, very key. This England defence looks all like in tune uh, Gordon, uh, Pickford is even playing well he's not conceded a goal Maguire and Stones is a solid pairing uh, Germany only really looked like scoring once in that game and that's a very very attacking team so as much as I don't like the fact that we're setting up overly defensively with the three at the back and the wing backs which is essentially five at the back and the two holding midfielders and simply relying on three attacking players to win games for us it has worked so far. I would certainly expect them not to take this approach against the Ukraine, given that you're the better team, given that how tired they looked. I would like to see us go back to 4-3-3. I'd like to see us put some pace in. I'd like us to take advantage of the fact that they're tired and we've got players that haven't even played yet. The likes of uh, a Marcus Rashford, a Jaden Sancho, coming in with no football. They could absolutely tear this team apart. I don't think Southgate's going to do it. I think we're going to see more of the same, but more of the same will be enough to win this game. I think England continue with their clean sheets. They win this to nil, uh, maybe 1-0, maybe 2-0. So you can also play this as England under three and a half goals, which gives you more security. That's available at 6-5. to five. If you want to take it to England and under four and a half goals, 
that one takes you to four to six minus 150. I think all of these plays are valid. But for me, I think England will be reaching that semi-final uh, against either Denmark or the Czech Republic. But as I said, I've never no massively strong lean on that game. I do think we'll end up playing Denmark, which will be interesting because recently Denmark have come and won at uh, England in the Nations League. They've won at Wembley before. It was with no fans then. It's very, very different. You guys have seen on TV how much the fans are, are carrying England at the moment. And I certainly don't expect Denmark to win that game with the fans there this time. It will be somewhat of a revenge spot if people cared that much about the Nations League. I'm not even sure people remember, but I remember because it's my job. And uh, Denmark did beat England by a goal. So also England were down to 10 men as well for most of that game. So... That's the potential semi-final. England's route looks very clear. For me, it's just a case of who do you play in the final. The bookies have Spain as the favourites. I'm not 100% sure. I agree with that. I lean towards a Belgium-England final. But first of all, Belgium need to overcome the Italians as an underdog this weekend, which I'm surprised to see, as I said. But that concludes your quarterfinal preview. We'll be back with the semi-finals in the week. Don't forget... The Copper America now comes to the Soccer Gambling Podcast. It's been on LockBetting.com as an exclusive show called International Daily. The group stages have now been navigated. Argentina and Brazil have won their group. We already run one our futures pick from the group stage and we have Brazil to win this tournament and Brazil and Argentina from winning their group are on course to meet in the final which will be exciting if it can come to fruition. We'll be previewing those quarterfinals on the Copa America show. We'll also then have the Copa America semifinals on one show, the Euro 2020 semifinals on another show and then we'll cover the two finals collectively. So lots still to come here on the Soccer Gambling Podcast as the Summer Soccer Tournaments conclude here in the next few weeks. But until then, that's it for me. Good luck with all your bets as always. And thanks for listening.